Welcome to the Lions Roar Dharma Center podcast from Dona Darge Temple. This public talk by Lama Yeshe Jinpa was recorded during a regularly scheduled Monday evening teaching. Dirk correctly pointed out that we're not doing the Lotus Sutra, so we have to change that title. Maybe uh, it'll be something like Buddha Dharma Study Program, The View. However, I want to make sure that people that aren't uh, necessarily just interested in uh, the view or the Dharma study program certificate still will gain something, which I think they will. I'm also happy that Connors uh, volunteered to What should your title be? Uh, paper pusher. Um, TA. <laughs> oh, I was like, it had uh, several different names paper pusher, program corner, TA. Um, <clears throat> so uh, we do have a list of. Uh, uh, administrative list of uh, people that are uh, interested in participating in the program. Uh, some of which are here, some which aren't, which is fine. The lecturers here are um, not. Uh, well, they're not absolutely necessary, but I would find them helpful. <laughs> Just as it, uh, actually reading the book is helpful. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but uh, I think it was, for many people, difficult enough to get through the first book. Uh, although I, I know a few people did. But now we're on to Tsongkhapa's uh, commentary on Nagarjuna's verses. Um, uh, so uh, we have a nickname for that too. Uh, was it Ocean of Tears? Is that <laughs> so it's a little thicker here. This is a little thinner. <clears throat> So, of course, the books are published, and, and anybody can read them. Um, but traditionally, uh, we're not reading primary texts without a commentary that's a written commentary plus uh, an oral commentary. So it is appropriate that people uh, attend some talks, or maybe, I don't know, are we recording this talk? or Okay, so... That's good. <coughs> I think so. You know, this is Mahayana. We're not, and uh, in, in a way, even teachings on emptiness are uh, self-secret. So they don't. It doesn't immediately reveal itself. <coughs> it almost immediately reveals itself that things are changing, but uh, true impermanence doesn't completely reveal itself, does it? We have to take a closer look. <coughs> so, this, uh, what, Thursday, or uh, is going to be the deadline for the paper on um, the verses. So, I'm always interested in what's the point, and what's the methodology, and what effect has it had on you. <clears throat> so, I don't know, maybe for some people it's easier to say, okay, what Nagarjuna and the root verse are talking about is emptiness, so that could be one sentence, and then <laughs> like that. But uh, I need more than that. What do we, what do we need? Maybe two pa- at least two pages, 750 words, something like that. <clears throat> So when you're doing the essay, think, if, if someone other than me that 
knew nothing was reading it, what would they be able to get from it? So if you're just thinking, well, Lama knows the answer, so I don't have to like go into it, that's, that's not correct. We want to present it as if uh, uh, an interested uh, person could make some sense of it, like that. <coughs> What I want to go over today is, is not just essential points uh, that Tsongkhapa is trying to make, but how to actually study in the Dharma tradition. And as people know, this is a unique program because it's for refuge students, right? People have taken refuge. It doesn't have to be necessarily with me, but it means this is uh, sacred lineage Dharma. It's not just college. Because I think without... Uh, refuge in bodhicitta, um, let alone some samaya uh, with one's teacher, uh, the program would be very difficult. <clears throat> so it's assumed in traditional study that this is tough stuff and the, probably the only way you're going to get through it is if it's part of your liberation and part of your uh, sacred religious experience. Otherwise, um, you'd probably just read Cliff Notes or <laughs> a really just short version. So um, the assumption is that we have that motivation of uh, we want to escape uh, the suffering of samsara and we need help that we can't bear to see other beings suffer uh, and we want to become Buddhists in order to liberate them in the, in the quickest and truest way. And also there's a presumption that um, we have reverence for the, uh, the lineage teachers and for one's current teachers um, as uh, guides. So unlike Western thing, you might think, like in Western teaching or university, you might think, well, I really like reading this um, text or something, history or philosophy or whatever, but, but the professor is so-so. Um, of course, in the monastery and other shedras and so forth, you might think, well, this, this particular teacher meant the most to me or seemed to have the clearest and most precise explanation, but you would still... Uh, you know, rejoice and, you know, hold the teacher in high esteem like that. Um, I'm not trying to make a pitch for myself, but just so people know um, that uh, when you're uh, at the foot of the mountain or in the lodge, the summit seems very clear. <laughs> uh, but when you're halfway up the mountain, you can't see the summit. And the more you climb, the more you get tired, right? So we have to start out with, uh, you know, a lot of uh, uh, accumulation of merit, and then there's a lot of preparation. <coughs> so this motivation is an important part of analytic, or what we might call intellectual meditation on nature of mind. <clears throat> so the, I, I don't know um, everyone's uh, you know future with where we're going to be like four years from now but, but some people in this room will uh, actually read everything and uh, do uh, all the work and, um, you know, Jada Rimshe and I will be presenting some certificates. It's amazing, but that will happen. <clears throat> so I do encourage people uh, to stay on the mountain. Um, but maybe in your third way up, you don't see the summit. Uh, so just know it's there, but watch where you put your feet because there are a lot of crevasses, right? Disappointments, 
things happen uh, in your life, of course. So plan now, if you can, like, I'm just going to continue doing this stuff, um, basically no matter what. <coughs> I don't know what your what's going to be, but uh, th that have some kind of some kind of unconditional bodhicitta if you can. Like, I'm, I'm going to get this stuff no matter what. Because <coughs> um, uh, there, there will be obstacles in our own lives and obstacles that arise just as uh, you do the meditations and um, both intellectual and non-intellectual, both uh, direct and indirect. Even if you were, had absolutely no problems, um, and you were doing uh, the program, it, it would bring up all your conflicts, right? If you're doing even shamatha practice correctly, all your distractions and conflicting emotions and imbalances will come up. If you're doing it correctly, all your <laughs> conflicting emotions and every all their uh, fuzzy thinking will come up. So the point of doing the practice is to bring everything into view. That's easy. So it isn't just the view over here, but it's to bring everything into the view, into view. <coughs> so it isn't just, I just want to view the truth. Uh, we also have to view the falsehood, right? We also have to view uh, what the obstacles are and um, where we go off balance or off base. For those people that have read the uh, verses, the karakas, um, and Dr. Garfield's uh, commentary, uh, you'll see that Nagarjuna posits these um, debaters within, right? <coughs> And for those people that uh, are uh, have started to read uh, Ocean of <laughs> No, I can't say it. What can you? Tears. Yeah. <laughs> That's right here. Ocean of reasoning. Okay. Yeah. So uh, you'll see that Lama Sankapa spends just as much time talking about the wrong views as maybe even more than the right view. <clears throat> so this is essential. <clears throat> That's what's a little bit different. There is some debate in Western scholarship, and, but usually Western scholarship, we're just trying to establish our own particular view and a little bit of others but we don't necessarily want to understand each other so much. We don't spend as much time on it. But in this tradition, we, we want to know how uh, also things go wrong. So we want to know, like, what, what are the different ways that we can believe or uh, fixate on, uh, on essence and what are the different ways we can try to escape uh, that fixation? Uh, and we, we want to know all the wrong paths in addition to the right ones. So unlike you know, Google Maps or MapQuest or something, we, we want to show all the ways where you can't, if we want to go to San Francisco, we don't want to know just the direct path, but we want to know all the ways, all the wrong ways to get there too. So, uh, there's a reason for this, and maybe we can open it up to a little bit of discussion. Why do you think, in our tradition, we we want to know all the, you know as many wrong ways as possible? What could be the value in it? Don't waste time. Pardon me. So we don't waste time. Yeah, one is don't waste time. So we could say, well, don't go this way, don't go that way. That would definitely. So we're definitely interested in. Uh, not wasting time. What would be another reason, yeah, Elizabeth? So you recognize your own wrong path. 
Yeah, so we, we might kind of, like, as quick as possible say, this is weird, we're driving to Reno, and oh, we're driving to San Francisco. Well, okay, what else, Connor? Yeah, we're really we're actually willing to do that. We're actually and and maybe we're not, you know, uh, we don't have to be totally biased. Anything else? Any other reason? Yes, sir. No, if you don't go the wrong path, you can't help people get off. Yeah, that's one of the big ones. So, um, yeah. So, uh, my mom was a uh, phys ed instructor, so she would tell me all the wrong ways. Not not to play tennis, you know. <laughs> and also, it's kind of helpful. It was kind of helpful because then you can spot in yourself and others, and you can really help others. Otherwise, you're just going to say, "Well, uh, you didn't get it. Sorry." So, from uh, the Mahayana point of view, um, we're we're very interested in. Um, oh well, how did you arrive at that conclusion? Why do you say that? Um, would you are you interested in dialoguing about that? Oh, that's interesting, like that. And sometimes it's kind of a little bit. Uh, um, there, there is a, a certain kind of uh, I don't know if I call some kaba kind of snarky a little bit. But has anybody gotten into ocean of reasoning yet? Okay, good. It's going to be the middle of the month soon. <coughs> so. Uh, yeah, he's not afraid to call people like, that's silly, that's foolish. Um, idiotic. Idiotic, yeah. You know, it's like, you know, the, you know, not all the Tibetan is in the, uh, in the text there, but, you know, I have a feeling, you know, it's, 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 it's written very in a, this kind of talkative style, like, how could you, you know, what? You know, like that. So, uh, in the Tibetan style, you're going to get this very philosophic, and then suddenly the next minute you'll get some kind of ad hominem saying this is ridiculous, right? <coughs> so we, we want to know not only what the, uh, the right view is, but as much as possible how do we um, and how do we help others who have the wrong view. Anything else left? I learned it. No? Yes. Would it also be so that we can dialogue with other traditions and not have this false impression that we're so right, so we're better than others, and then cut ourselves off from that connection? Um, so we don't become like. Arrogant or superior or ignorant. We're isolated from other yeah, we don't necessarily want to isolate. We, we, we're willing to kind of, you know, keep talking. Otherwise, you're just talking to oneself. Yeah, like that. Um, uh, although, we, we are going... We're not afraid to claim we, we might have a more profound view. So we're, we're, we're not going to be kind of like always saying all paths lead, lead up the same mountain. You might say, well, you know, for this, but but we're still interested. We're willing to kind of dialogue. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Uh, also, uh, by knowing the wrong paths, less prone to doubt. Yeah. Less prone to yeah. thinking that maybe that path. Yes. Yeah. So, um, there's a, a, a famous. Uh, short text by um, Vipam Rinpoche, um, wonderful uh, Rime Nyingma Lama, who uh, uh, said the, the whole point is to develop certainty. <clears throat> so Patty gave a nice talk right on confidence, and uh, at some point, 
Andrew Smith's going to talk about doubt. Um, <clears throat> so if we've explored absolutely everything, the idea is like there's no doubt. People are fond of, uh, I don't know, <laughs> I'm, fond of, I'm fond of my explanation about what, what I would do if I lost a stone out of one of my rings. I, if I didn't immediately find it, uh, I would know, however, if I came in with it, it would still be in the room, correct? So the way to find something is to have a plan, and the plan would be to turn the whole room into a grid pattern of like what, maybe one inch or something. And you would explore the one inch square, and then if, if it wasn't there, you would close it and you wouldn't go back. You would say it's not there. So eventually you would find it, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? Yeah. But most of the time we don't find it because we don't, we go back. We're not, you know, we don't close out the square. Similarly, if we went looking for something and we closed out and we didn't find it, let's say I was convinced when I left home, you know, I had this stone in my ring, but let's say we looked with a total grid pattern and we didn't find it. Would it be rational to say, I still left home with it and it's got to be in the room somewhere, or would we say, it's not here? It's not here. So a huge part of study uh, in our tradition is really getting behind the methodology, really finding out where it isn't. And then when you, you know, exhaustively, like, okay, look two, look two or three times, that's fine. But once you say it's not here, then it's not there. Or if you say, it's here, then it's here. Because most people kind of circle back, right? Circle around. So in the, uh, the style that uh, came to be known as the Nalanda style, and the style that got imported into Tibet that Tsongkhapa epitomizes, is this kind of style where we're just going to turn everything into a grid pattern, so to speak, and we're going to close every single, look in every single box. And if we don't find it, it's not there. Yeah. So uh, maybe there's uh, uh, some people who have read uh, the root verses will. Uh, uh, know what I mean when I say this, the, uh, the four uh, tetralemma, the four propositions. Anybody want to take a stab at what are the four? Go for it. Yes, I'll get it wrong, but mm-hmm. it's, it's there, it's not there, it's neither both there or neither not one or the other, or not, not both. It's there, it's not there, it's both there and not there, it's neither there nor that there. And there's no fifth. How many times do people say, well, it's kind of like there and not there? (laughs) 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 Or, or I don't live in a binary, you know, it's, it's both A and B, it's both Okay. So a fundamental part of uh, Buddhist logic or the way it works is actually um, we, we, it, it is either or. It's not going to be um, a both and. But neither is going to be like it's neither there nor that, not there or both there and not there. So 
that's hard for some people, right? Psychologically, we like to say, well, I'm, you know, they're kind of there and not there. And so in, in the world of uh, Madhyamaka logic, particularly when we're looking for something, we do have to say at some point, it really isn't there. It's not magically somewhere else. You know, I know I don't see it in the square, but it's hovering slightly above the square, or it's off to the side, and when I don't look at it, it will come back. No, it's not there. <clears throat> so uh, a huge piece of the methodology uh, is understanding that uh, when something uh, is shown that the only proposition we, could, we end, well, we end up with, it's both there and not there, we, we, it's not tenable, right? Nagarjuna you know, said not tenable. So it, it really is like, well, we're not going to have a contradiction. I don't know, somebody could say, well, I'm, I'm really good with contradictions. They work all the time in my life. <laughs> I do just fine with contradictions, you know. I, I love and hate people, and, you know, like, isn't life full of contradictions? And doesn't that make life interesting? And we would say from within the tradition, well, if you call samsara interesting, then it is, you know. But from... Dharma point of view, uh, it it's painful. So when we think about disease or you know, uh, we we don't we don't want to hear like, well, it's it's kind of there. At some point, we want to hear there are no cancer cells, right? Annette, you don't want to hear like, well, it's kind of there, not there. So go home and relax, you know. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, um, or you know, what we we you want to an answer, right? So that's part of uh, the deal is that we're, we're willing to really look at our own lives and go, do, do I really want something that's kind of there and not there? Do I really want something that's neither there nor not there? Is that absurd? Are we willing to accept absurd conclusions? So a huge part of the methodology is why is to get somebody to realize, I don't like absurd conclusions. Huge, huge. So it's not just intellectual, like, okay, things don't have an essence, they don't have substance, they don't own properties from their own side, da 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 It is that, when we say emptiness, of course, things... Uh, don't have an essence, so we can't say uh, that. But uh, really, the methodology of waking up is we don't want to have absurd conclusions. Okay, maybe we ought to stop here for a second. Do people like absurd conclusions or maybe there are a few existentialists of um, Camus existentialists here who like <laughs> are, uh, take the absurdist you know life, life is absurd but we must make meaning about it so so we have to find the essence yeah so we need to find the essence yeah so we're saying uh Nagarjuna, uh, the methodology is uh, to drive home to us and also the person we're dialoguing with that if we hold on to particularly in a position that an essence position or actually any fixed position we're going to end up with an absurd conclusion which is unacceptable but as Westerners we have to look at is that really unacceptable Connor? Well, because uh, actually the absolute reality, you know, uh, according to uh, our dialectic here, is 
what the conventional reality really is. So that's what's interesting is, in a sense, we could say there's not, it's a good question. We could talk quite a long time about it, of course. Um, but, uh, you know, sticking, I like to kind of stick within the framework, like sticking with Jay Garfield's thing is where we're talking about, in a sense, uh, two perspectives. So uh, when you say two truths, we don't really mean two realities, because that would be a problem. We're talking about two perspectives like that. But lots of times it is interpreted as two realities. And of course, Nagarjuna, uh, through probably every chapter, goes at great pains to say, we're not talking about two different realities. We're talking about um, uh, two different perspectives. But he, he moves toward he moves more and more toward that toward the end, wouldn't you say? Do I have it wrong? We can have a debate here. Are there two realities? Sometimes it's you know, we talk that way, don't we? How how so that would be yes, so Dirk's making the point that uh, in, in Plato there are definitely two realities. Yeah. Yes. So um, when I'm reading, I like the very end of the chapter when he sort of states the conclusion. Um, yeah. um, and then I appreciate all that we said at the beginning of the talk today about why we send ourselves through all the painful dialectics. But I mean, is it really that we would be more convinced if we get all that? Because I mean, I get to the end and I read the conclusion of the chapter and it resonates. I say, oh yeah, I get, I get it. <coughs> Even if I didn't necessarily understand all the little arguments, but then it must be important. Is it for the reasons you stated, or does it, is it actually, would you say, more impactful to drag yourself through all, all the nitty gritty? Generally, within the tradition, it's seen as more impactful. So just coming to the conclusion would be seen as like taking a helicopter to the top of the mountain rather than climbing it. So there, there is uh, seen as a value as, as wrestling with it. Otherwise, it would just be kind of posted like Ten Commandments a little bit. But uh, actually, would, in, in Darshan, or, you know, we, in our interviews, we... I, I want people to bring forth the, like, okay, I, I agree with the conclusion over here, maybe, but uh, this particular thing, you know, I, I, this is, I, I'm stuck on this thing. Because that's where the traction is. That, that means you, uh, it's good. I mean, you see the summit, but um, you, has anybody done any mountain climbing where you actually you've gotten stuck? I haven't really done any tech, a little bit. You know, like you're up, going up a wall and you realize that no more handholds. Yeah, that's never happened. Yeah, but that's, that's where it gets interesting, right? So, um, that's what the rope's for. Yeah, so the rope, so <laughs> throw the rope, the llama throws the rope. So the, um, the, uh, path aspect of, of learning this style of meditation is that we, we want to th- uh, we, we want to see where you're getting stuck yes yes yeah that's right yeah that's right so um, uh, so you, yeah so uh, just to get a little geeky, um, uh, over the last 25 years, there's a number of really competent translators. Um, so they can translate things different. So one time we can say valid cognition, another time authoritative cognition. You know, so like, is that different? But they're translating the same Tibetan word. So yes, it is. It is getting, it, it is getting the definitions down, and 
in a monastic style. Um, you'll, you'll spend pro- you know a long time, maybe a whole year, on just definitions. It's like you know, I don't know. I haven't been to law school, but it's a lot like going to grad school. Like, well, we're just going to talk about what you mean by self or ego or you know, like what's the difference between suppression and repression. You should know that one, right? <laughs> so, yes. Is there a place that is a good reference for all these terms? Like to be able to, like, like a dictionary almost of terms. Okay, so uh, not really. No, you just, <laughs> that's the wrestling part. Yeah. So you can you can go onto like. Uh, Rigpa Wiki or something like that, but uh, you've got to you you know actually Jay Garfield in the uh, first part of the, the first book goes into the problems with translation. So there's always a glossary in in the back. There should be you know this is how we translated this Sanskrit and Tibetan word. So you see how they're using it in context um, because it, it's just to it, we won't be able to have, or we haven't yet, and maybe we never want to have like one universal translation. Like, okay, the the king has agreed that you know prajna has to be translated this way. So we actually kind of the interesting part in Tibet. There there were attempts to say, okay, this is going to be the translation for this word, and and other groups said no, we want it more fluid. There are good reasons for each. Like, should prajna be called discriminating wisdom or discriminating appreciation wisdom? Or should it just be called, um, like one translator recently just said, let's just call it intelligence. Okay, guys? <laughs> so we don't put the big wisdom, so we'll, we'll save wisdom for uh, jhana. So prajna is like intelligence. And then, uh, you know, jhanas be like wisdom, uh, which is, you know, like uh, yeshe, but vidya is, is uh, you know, rigpa, so how about awareness? So we've got intelligent wisdom and awareness. <laughs> then you think, well, what's niftier? What's the context? Yeah, exactly. We have to know the context. So just like words in English, we have to read the context. So. Um, there are some dictionaries, but the uh, the most useful is like find out kind of how the translator is using it, like that. Yes. Why so many double negatives? What's the point? I mean, they write a sentence with four or five negatives, and why can't they just use the positive? <laughs> well, because um, this tricky thing that. Um, we're interested in uh, emphasizing a non-affirming negative. So when we so uh, when we say not something, it doesn't mean there's something else there. It's just that's not there. So Tsongkhapa particularly is saying. It looks like that's not there, but that's not not there is important to get. <laughs> We're not saying emptiness is there. We're not saying emptiness is there, yeah. But uh, there are certain... Uh, this, this is where it gets fun because there's certain things that feel like we're actually saying a non-affirming negative, but we're actually, you know, so we're saying... You know, kind of English, you know, English, we'd say, well, it's not like they're an idiot. And then we're kind of waiting for the other shoe, right? So we're saying a not, but there's an Im- implication that somebody is not so smart. We're not, we're not saying they're a complete idiot. So we, we might add another negative. Or we might say, it's not that they're not an idiot. <laughs> I love double 
Yeah. It's, it's, it's not that. Because we, we don't want to go looking. What happens with, I think, human psychology, which is, we're, we're talking about psychology language here, is we, at some point we're going to go looking for the, the not idiot, you see. We're going to go looking for the not flat world, or we're going to go looking for emptiness as an entity. Yes? Well, in the Madhyamaka approach, no, nothing's going to have essence. In fact, nothing is going to have essence. The essence, as it's very strictly uh, defined. So that, that's where we have to like actually read through and, and see you know, what, what we're really talking about when we say something like essence, like swabhava. So something is really uniquely its own. So essence, you know, something that doesn't really share any properties with anything else, you see. And something that can own its own properties. So uh, I'm hoping that people will do a little bit more reading so next Monday I can talk specifically about essence because, of course, that's so much the heart. But um, it's a difficult English word because it has religious undertones and kind of a philosophic sense in the West. Like, uh, we, you know, if we don't say something has essence then it's kind of nihilistic or random. You know, so we're, we're trying to say, well, what's the essence of the argument? Or, you know, get to the point or like that. So um, I, I actually use a little bit more a psych term, like uh, nothing is uh, uh, substantially fixated. Or, or maybe the problem is fixation. Or a fixated, a fixated quality, like that. But maybe essence is good because it's kind of like a little radical. It's a little bit like, you know, pulling the rug out. But when we say there's no essence, or something is empty of essence, shunya, um, or there is shunyata, emptiness, uh, then as uh, Madhyamikans, we're 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 going to get very close to a nihilistic. Uh, viewpoint, and we're going to get very close to kind of sometimes an Advaita kind of viewpoint, like everything is illusion, um, but there's some ineffable essence that um, you'll only get when you're enlightened, or something like that. So that's why I chide students at Lions Row sometimes. Say, oh, you know, you guys are really Advaita Vedantins. Where we should be over <laughs> at the Vedanta Society and Carmichael, you know like that <clears throat> so it, there's uh, you know we say it doesn't exist from its own side uh, you know that means it doesn't have an essence that can totally be defined without defining it against something else <clears throat> so uh, we're very interested um, in saying things uh, like, well, that's not a chair. <laughs> so, like that. Because uh, we, we're trying to talk sometimes without uh, talking about essences. But if it were outside of the six realms, would it have essence? There's uh, the six, you mean the six realms, like the gods and demigods and stuff like that. They're, they're realms outside of the six realms, but all the realms of form and formless, uh, there's no essence. There's nothing we could say, well, that, that could be totally found on its own without any qualities or any causation or anything that would belong to anything else. We're not going to ever, ever find something that exists by itself without uh, bringing in talking about something else. Yeah. If it were easy, we'd all get it right away. You know, so uh, the big essence that we're after is uh, even after we do a lot of reading and meditation and 
we're in this stuff. It, existentially, it still feels like, well, there's somebody behind our eyes, right? <laughs> and <laughs> uh, I fundamentally have something different than other people that I could define as me completely different from the rest of you guys. <clears throat> so we're not just talking about tables and chairs and phenomena and entities. It, it's all going to eventually come back to uh, are we going to have a radically different sense of who we are? Of course, what, what we're aiming to are in school is um, we're going to have a joyfully conditioned self. A joyfully dependent self, right? So, uh, I'm, I've got a title for one of my next books through Midway Health called a joy-filled life with unresolved problems. <laughs> it's like that. Uh, so, um, it doesn't mean to say that our consciousness does not undergo a big change as a result of really, really taking this in. So, that... that uh, is addressed in other ways. We're just right after the view right now. How, how things must be. Even though they don't feel this way at first, it's kind of like learning math, you know, or, or learning physics. This is how it must be, because the opposite would be absurd. But it doesn't mean our feelings or our sense of self or consciousness is immediately going to keep step with the whole thing. Yes? That segues directly into the question of the only monk. Okay, good. Yeah. yeah. Which is, uh, would it be, uh, in some ways, is going through the uh, the grid search of root versus really, which is what that yeah. kind of is. Yes, yes. Uh, is that, uh, would it be fair to say that that's sort of a part of the practice of arriving at the realization of, of, of there being no essence rather than, that, oh yeah, there's no essence. Like, oh yeah, I know I'm going to die. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. That's right. That's right. Oh yeah, I know there's no essence. Man. Oh, don't get me. <laughs> that's right. That's so, right. I mean that it's a like like practicing. Yeah, that's right. So uh, when we're we're reading this material, the idea is we're also uh, formulating our consciousness, our sense of self around it, and you know when we. Uh, you know, engage with it, then uh, there's there's some traction, and it makes a difference. If you don't engage with it, if you kind of keep it at arm's length, then you, you won't get the result. Yes. Um, just as a practical problem uh, with the ocean case here, um, <laughs> I have not had a chance in months to meet this twice. Yeah. Uh, I am advising people as a methodology to uh, read the material uh, with a meditative mind for starts. So actually the best thing to do is uh, to actually do some meditation, to do some practice before you read and not just pick it up. Um, but then to read it uh, in a poetic sense. <laughs> well, I know Connor does. Yeah. Yeah. Poetry is, you know, page three, four pages long, and not. It's a well. Exactly. Well, this this hey, come on, this Paradise Lost and. Um, the the Odyssey is a long poem. It's a long poem. What do you mean by that sort of light touch? You know, just kind of a light touch and not so st- stressed, heavy. Kind of Got to figure it out. Mm. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, um, I I'm being very American style by. Uh, 
you know, pausing and we're having comment and discussion. But, you know, a lot of teachings are just straight through. So if you listen to something, uh, you're not, you could pause the tape, but actually, you know, the teacher's going all the way through. So that, that, that way we do it. We just, we just keep going. And we're, we're hoping that um, it's, uh, our, our wisdom and intelligence and awareness is uh, uh, being awakened as we go along. So it's, it's not that we shouldn't stop a time to look up something, but um, you, you, you're learning that uh, you, you actually can't just kind of uh, pull over and put a pause stop on real life. You, you have to have this learning, and you have to think, well, I'll, the next time it comes up, I'll, I'll look a little closer like that. Because actually all the tradition, uh, even though these were blessedly written down, um, most of the teachings are always oral. And you wouldn't have time to stop a teacher. You just have to kind of like, well, I'll get another lecture, and, or I'll, I'll pay more attention the second hour like that. So it's a little bit like gazing at a um, maybe a very modern painting, and you know at first glance it may not look any like anything, and then it, it starts uh, things start appearing like that. <laughs> so it, it's you know you won't see. We're we're heading towards San Francisco, but you don't you don't see San Francisco each mile, right? You're walking up the mountain, and at first you might see the you know, the peak, but then after a while, maybe even a third up, you won't see the summit. So it's interesting, right? So it's very much uh, the way our wisdom mind um, arrives. Roberta had her hand up. Or? I think it feels like, you know, we're all indoctrinated into an American method of learning. So rather just relaxing and going through the thing, going through, it's like we feel like I'm get this by the bad. And I mean, our attention's good, but like the good of the happening, it's really mm-hmm. We're reading these texts not with our normal... Uh, uh, self-consciousness, actually. So that applies to shamatha meditation or vipassana or even mahamudra. This kind of the idea that um, uh, it's it's their present consciousness that is is just getting bigger, right? So this we have a present kind of self-consciousness, and enlightenment means it just gets a little bigger and smarter. That's called grandiosity and inflation in psychology. What, what's, what's happening more is uh, the, uh, what we normally take to be self is being uh, analyzed, meaning loosened up, right? That's the meaning of analysis. It's to loosen up and deconstruct it. So we, we kind of want you to kind of like... Uh, my brains, I want to hear like people's brains are melting. <laughs> so, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, usually in the West, we think, well, I take this step and then I get that and then the next step and I get that. And there's just a progression of knowing. But uh, overall, the Buddhist path is we're, we're actually letting go of things we don't need. We have a whole bunch of thoughts and Narratives and you know, consciousnesses that are completely extra and, and coverings. So, yeah, it, but it's painful to also, you know, kind of just get rid of it too. But it's still okay to look up things in dictionary. Mm. Okay. Yes. Uh-huh. But is that some sort of maybe resistance or something? 
It's just like in, it's possible. I mean, it's guessing, but it's just like in shamatha when uh, our concentration is too narrow, we get really tired and uptight. You know, we're trying to narrow down. You know, like drill into this thing. So that's too tight. You know, and then there's time when it's too loose, right? So it's just like you're driving, gripping the wheel. Or in the old days, they'd say, you know, you're holding the reins of the horse too tight. Loosen up. But then if you drop the reins, that's not good either, right? So, you know, it was, the Buddha's always saying, not too tight, not too loose. So, uh, uh, the <laughs> it's actually possible to read this stuff and, and just be feeling like you're surfing. Yes, yes. Yeah. You know, you're just kind of like, you're getting a massage. And, and it must be the next chapter. <laughs> it must be the next chapter. <laughs> so sometimes in a massage, you know, you're, you're getting, you know, it's like, oh, that's, that's a tight spot there. But, you know, the Buddha and the Garjana, Lama Sankaba, Chandrakirti are, are kind of massaging, you know, they're kind of softening, you know, softening it up a little bit like that. So, but um, uh, there's uh, one of my teachers who has came here before. Probably anybody was here. Geshe Jampa Tetchok, who's worked closely with um, uh, Venerable Tupton Children, and wrote a book on emptiness. Some people have read that. Incredible. He was just the most fun guy. I mean, it was just like debating and talking and. You know, it was just, it was like you're playing, you know, tennis or something. It was just back and forth, and, you know, we're the, it was playful like that. So, I know we're not taking a break. This is just, we're just going to go. We can sit a little bit at the end. How's that? But uh, actually, we're, we're supposed to, at some point, kind of like, uh, give up a certain level of limited consciousness and just say, okay, I, I give up. I'm just going to, you know, to read it with a certain level of unknowing, but curiosity still. Yeah. Elizabeth. Yeah. Not intentionally, but you're just not. <clears throat> you're in San. You're talking about San Francisco, and you're. Yeah. I'm still in Berkeley. Right? Yeah. Where I'm just not. <laughs> actually, actually, we we maybe we we want to slow down. the the number The number one thing we're doing from the very beginning in shamatha or reading is is we're slowing down. We're you know we're chewing each bite you know ten times. We're we're slowing down. You know so we're. It's, we're, we're turtles. So we're not speeding like, and then hitting something you don't understand and then kind of getting stuck there. And, you know, it's not stop and go traffic. We're, we're meant to train our, our, even our intellectual mind. So we're kind of like just slowly moving across the territory like this. You know, so slow enough that we can catch things as we go along, but there's not a gap or a stop. You know how sometimes it said in some yogas, uh, and it became popular to say, you know, um, there's a gap. That's a use. That's skillful. It's it's skillful means. You know, sometimes, you know, we'd say, and even in Dzogchen, look, look at the gap between thoughts. But there, there really isn't a gap. Can you find a gap? You can't really. You know, it's just skillful means. There's not really a gap. We can't even really. Yeah, no shit. Thank you. <laughs> that's good. Well, no, that's infuriating, isn't it? Like, where's this gap? You know, they were talking about this gap. You know, so like. What's wrong? Yeah, like, where's the gap? I can't find the gap. <laughs> you guys, I love you guys. So there's, there really, there really isn't a gap. Just there isn't really a sense of continuity, even though we say, you know, even there's a whole text on Uttara Tantra Shastra. Even though we say tantra means continuity. Mm-hmm. Okay, Roberta had a question. I just wanted to ask because I have not been able to read before I read. So, yeah. Is this a shamatha? <clears throat> I would do a little bit of shamatha 
and definitely uh, refuge and uh, definitely at least refuge, you know, in bodhicitta. So um, the whole what what we want to do in this this is high level Mahayana that's actually in and the tradition is getting us ready in a sense, you know, for our tantra and Mahamudra and Dzogchen is the found you know we, you have to get this stuff um, is willing to carry on even though we we have some doubts but not doubts that stop us and what generally people stop because they have doubts so that's why particularly in uh, Vajrayana there's there's so much emphasis just put on the personal connection like that because at some point we're going to be on the steep cliff the lights are out and the lama's going to say okay um, just uh, let go of that handhold and just jump up you know and grab over here isn't that right and the only way we're really going to do that is if we have some trust there's going to be it's Madhyamaka anyway is kind of a pre-leap, pre-tantra philosophy it's going to be a little bit of a leap so there's no way you can totally you know, it's it's kind of halfway it's not totally a causal vehicle right? causal is like, we can give you exactly what's going to happen each step of the way that, that would be Hinayana teaching, so I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen every single moment and you'll have a complete map but at some point, it goes dark, right? And the teacher is, or, you know, is going to say, well, you're going to have to like, step off the cliff. I don't know. We can do it. That's a good question. But it's, it's, it's doubt that generally stops us in nutrition. Hmm. Speaking of doubt. Yeah, speaking. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why, you know, there, there, there's these things built into the refuge. So uh, we have a personal relationship, you know, with a qualified teacher, right? And then we have a strong uh, desire to escape samsara. So we have a guide, you know, and then we have some teachings, but overall we have bodhicitta. So, uh, you know, we that's. We, we have to find the, the means as quickly as possible to uh, save someone we love. That, that wipes everything out. That completely does. So you, we have to generate the bodhicitta saying, uh, you know, I have some faith, maybe initially, that this, this will enable me to, you know, rescue someone. Like when pe- kids, like, drop down a hole or something, you know, or people are, like those kids in, uh, what was it, Burma, right? Myanmar? Yeah, a cave, right. So no one had ever done that kind of rescue before, right? So, the, you know, just a number of people, the divers or the parents too, you know, just, well, we're just going to do this thing. So that's why we, famous phrase, you know, by the, um, one of the karmapas was devotion is the heart of Mahamudra. Because you won't you won't keep going at some point. Well, I just can't do it, you know. But if if your child is stuck in the cave, you're you're gonna get the child out. That's the bodhicitta. I mean this just yeah, you know. You're you're gonna you know, you're not gonna say, Well, I'll just let him burn in the house, right? <laughs> you know. Even if you don't have like all the you know 
fire gear, right, you're, you're not, you're, you're going to try to go into a burning house, right? Yeah, it's like that. You don't know exactly how you're going to do it. Right. Hopefully with a little help, right? So you're not just going to jump in, but of course you, you would. You don't know exactly how to do it, but the bodhicitta is what uh, puts you over the top. <laughs> yeah, so but if you actually keep walking the path you'll get there, that's the interesting part, you just kind of go well, you don't have to be the smart, smartest guy I'm not the smartest guy, but I'll tell you what I've outlasted a whole bunch of people right? yeah, you know just people that have screwed up ethically or given up or something, so I mean, you could be one of the last people standing too, Rob. So just, just <laughs> turtles win the race. Okay, so let's. let's <laughs> it's also it's also very very good to be humble. You know, we always want to be smart, and it's always good to say, "Well, I'm still working on this," and you know, so I don't know everything, and you know, that's that's important. So it, it, we we should. It's important in the tradition. Like to go at some point, go. I don't know anything, you know. But you don't doubt the Dharma. You don't doubt the path, you know. And actually, you don't doubt your ability. You just kind of you can bitch all the way to the top. By the way, I've said that <laughs> a number of times. That's okay. You can go. It's hard. It's hard. I hate it. You know. Like, but just keep climbing, right? That's that's totally okay. I'm a complainer. <laughs> So I say, this is hard, do I have to? Yeah, you say to my teachers all the time, do I have to do this? Yeah, you do. Okay. This has been a Lion's Roar Dharma Center recording. For more information, visit lionsroardharmacenter.org.